Our scripture lesson came from the book of Philippians, the first chapter, beginning the reading at the 29th verse and ending at the second chapter and the fourth verse. I'll read it again. Actually, I'll only read the second chapter. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. A story is told of a rich man. He was talking to his friend, who happens to be a minister. And he says to his friend, this minister, why is it that people are always criticizing me for being a miser, for being so stingy? Everyone knows that I have made provisions to leave everything I have to charity when I die. So why is everyone being so mean to me, always criticizing me? Well, said the minister, let me tell you a story about the pig and the cow. The pig was complaining to the cow one day about how unpopular he was. The pig said, people are always talking about your gentleness, cow, and how you are so kind. You give milk and cream, but I give even more. I give bacon and ham. I give bristles, and they even pickle my feet. Still no one likes me. I'm just a pig. Why is this? The cow thought for a minute and then said, well, maybe it's because I give while I'm still living. To give while you're still living requires that you offer something of yourself willingly while you still have the choice not to. To give something of yourself that costs you is the essence of selfless. Behavior and the opposite of selflessness is selfishness. So today I want to talk about selfishness and just how debilitating it is in our own lives. To do so, we'll examine a portion of Paul's letter to the Philippian church, and I've titled this sermon, Just For You. You know, the, the condition of our souls is a very complicated thing. And too many of us pastors, when people come to us with challenges that they're experiencing in their souls, we like to just tell them, go read the Bible or just pray on it. Well, the condition of our souls are far more complicated than just to go pray on it. Sometimes when I'm having the most challenging times in my life, if I'm really honest, sometimes it is very difficult to pray. I don't know if you've been there in those times where you are so broken and you are so hurt that you can't 
even pray. Now, please do not misunderstand me. I absolutely believe that turning to the word of God and reading the scriptures and praying is the most effective way of achieving freedom and the peace that you seek in your souls. But it must be understood in the proper context. What book should I read? What scripture should I read? What should I pray? How do I pray? When do I pray? These are all very difficult questions to answer when we're going through a very challenging time in our life. Not every scripture is applicable and not every prayer is the right prayer. And very often when I'm having a really, really tough time, I don't know where to turn in the Bible and I don't know what to pray for. All I know is that I'm hurting and I don't know what to do. So the truth is the condition of our souls is far more complicated than we know. Now one of the reasons why the soul is so complicated and we simply can't just read and pray away our pain is because we harbor two things. One is selfishness and the other is conceit, both of which comes to us very naturally. No one has to teach you how to be selfish. No one has to teach you how to be conceited. When I want what I want, no. Comes out without hesitation. Last night I saw my nephew, he came by the house and he just lifts a little high. He lifts a little high. Walks through the door and we're like, hi. No. First words, no. It's, when did he learn that? No one has to teach us how to be selfish. No one has to teach us how to be conceited. Selfishness comes naturally. And what we need to realize is that it is a very serious sin condition. But what really is selfishness? The dictionary tells us it is the quality of being devoted to or caring only for oneself. It is concerned primarily with one's own interests, benefits, welfare, etc., regardless of other people. Matt Chandler, in his book, To Live is Christ, To Die is Gain, he states this, and I'm reading. Selfish conviction is the real sin beneath every other sin. It was the original, original sin. When the serpent tempted Adam and Eve, he did it ultimately with self-exaltation. He said to Eve, you will be like God. And every moment we operate out of selfish ambition and conceit, every time we think of ourselves as better than others or look only at our own interests, we are in essence saying, I am God. This is what selfishness is all about. It is saying not only can I be like God, it's also saying I am God. But on top of that God complex that many of us have, selfishness is also more personal, where we tend to think, I have to have this, or I have to have that, or I've got to beat them, I've got to win, me, me, me. It's a drive towards self-preservation and self-glorification, and it is rooted in sin. Conceit, however, comes a little differently. 
It comes into play when you take on the attitude of being a sore loser. When you don't get this, or you don't get that, or you don't win, you now are a sore loser. So if this thing is in us and has been with us since the fall in the Garden of Eden, what are we to do about it? Well, we need to understand a couple of things. First, God has a standard. And his standard is always the opposite of what comes naturally to us. If there is something that you do naturally, understand that the standard that God has is always going to be anti to what comes natural to you. That is important to understand because very many of us think that we're doing something good, but very often the good thing that we think we're doing, we're not really doing it because we're good. We're kind of doing it because we want other people to see how good we are. Selfishness. It's sinful. The standard that God has set for us is very simple. God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbors, what? As yourself. That's the standard that God has set. It is a standard that is rooted in love. And it's completely selfless. It is a foundation that is built on God himself. And guess what? God is Love. Journey with me for a moment and let's look at a few Bible verses. And I'll just give you them. I'm not going to turn to them. But just listen to these Bible verses. Only three. In Ephesians, the fifth chapter and the 25th verse, very familiar, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. How did Christ give himself up for her? He chose to die to his own self. He gave his life freely and willingly. That's the God standard. In Mark, the 8th chapter and the 34th verse, it says, And when he, meaning Jesus, had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said to them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and what? Follow me. Deny yourself and to take up your cross. Now, if you think about it, when Jesus says, take up your cross, where was the cross leading him? To death. He was carrying his own instrument of death. And he's saying, if you want to follow him, take up the very thing that could cost you your life and follow him. That's the God standard. And finally, in Luke, the 14th chapter, and the 26th verse, it says, if any man come to me, meaning Jesus, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yea, and even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. What? Hate my mother and my father. Are you kidding me? Did the commandments not say, honor your father and your mother? Now we are to hate them? makes no sense, but there is a standard that God is setting. Even though we are commanded to live by this standard, I'm going to tell you, my brothers and sisters, it is impossible for you to live by this standard. Now, I want you to hear me clearly. It is impossible for you to live by this standard. To, to, to deny yourself 
for the benefit of someone else. To be willing to die for someone else is not something that comes natural to you. Now you could say, well, you know, if your child is going to go through something that is life-threatening, you may throw yourself in the path and be and choose to die. But I'm telling you, whether you believe it or not, even then, that is rooted in selfishness. Because the preservation of your child really is a preservation of your own legacy. So you are literally putting yourself in harm's way for selfish reasons. I'm telling you, to live by the God standard is something that is impossible for you and I to do it. And you say, Pastor, why is it impossible? What do you mean? Well, here's the thing. The reason why it is impossible for us to be selfless is because ourselves are rooted in sin. The Bible says we were born in sin and shaped in what? Iniquity. This is so because of the fall. Every person in this room, yourself, is planted and rooted in sin. This is a tragedy for you and for me. We are incapable of expressing anything good out of the sin that we are rooted in. This is harsh. This is not good news. This is very, very bad news. I am literally telling you, brothers and sisters, that not one of us in this room, myself included, is capable of living up to the God standard. We simply cannot do it because we are rooted in sin. The God standard does not come naturally to us. We are incapable of doing anything good. Wow. All right. You may not believe it yet, but let's stay for a moment. The second thing I want you all to be aware of is something called self-love. Not because we are rooted in sin does it mean that we do not have the capacity to love. We can love. The question is, what do we love? Sure, God has told us Husbands, love your wives and love him with all your heart, soul, mind and love your neighbors as your strength. And God would not tell you to do that if you didn't have the capacity to love. Love our neighbors as ourselves. This is the key. We are rooted in sin. And because of sin, we are selfish. And our selfishness makes us love ourselves. So God recognizes that we have this capacity to love because he gave it to us, but with that capacity to love, we have decided to love instead of our brothers and sisters or instead of God, we choose to love ourselves instead. It is the heartbeat of selfishness. Are you hearing me? So because we have this capacity to love ourselves, God now needs to find a way to help us to use that so he can be glorified, knowing that the love of ourselves is still rooted in this thing called sin. Love of self is actually broken up into three categories. Two of them are a major problem, one not so. 
The first thing is called self-adoration. That's the first self-love. Self-adoration. Sounds good, doesn't it? I can just love me. Well, this is where we tend to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Self-adoration is, is, is that you are so preoccupied with you more than anything or anyone else. It's all about me. That's self-adoration. Now, I say that this is problematic, and here's why. When you realize that you're not as good as you think you are, when you get to the place where you're not as cool as other people, when you get to the place where you love yourself so much, but somehow you're not quite who you thought you would be, it leads to a very low self-esteem. You see, the self-esteem that comes about when people end up actually being disappointed in who they really are that is not consistent with who they thought they would be. Let me give you a real example. If you grow up thinking when you were a child that maybe one day you're going to be a, a doctor or a lawyer or, or somebody, you know, important. If you grew up thinking that that was what was going to happen for you, but now today you find yourself much older and you're now probably working at a, 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 a supermarket or somewhere that it doesn't, I'm not knocking working at supermarket, I'm saying whatever your ambition was, you're not doing that today. You, ain't, you may end up falling into some kind of disappointment and that allows your self-esteem to, to rise up simply because your love of yourself is not consistent with who you thought you were going to be. When that happens, self-adoration flips and it causes low self-esteem, and now you are disappointed with yourself. You love yourself so much, and that you are now so disappointed in how you have turned out. That's a dangerous place to be, and people fall into depression. Self, I love me so much. And believe me, brothers and sisters, no matter how much you have achieved in your life, there is always a part of you that felt like I didn't quite measure up to what I thought I would be at this stage in my life. So you walk around with this level of guilt. Don't matter what you have done. That's just self-adoration. So that's the first one. The second one that's problematic is now what we call self-hatred. Wow. Self-hatred is where there is nothing about yourself right now that you find you like. You hate your face. You hate your complexion. You hate your height. You hate your weight. You hate your life. You just hate everything about yourself. You may not admit it, and it may not be as harsh as I'm saying it, but there are some of us walking around that says, I wish I were a little taller. I wish I were a little slimmer. I wish I were a little fairer. I wish my hair was a little more curlier. Now, it seems innocent. But what you're really saying is that how God the creator made you is something you are not satisfied with. I could be a little more whatever. But because I'm not, I don't really like me that Self-hatred. Now, now, now watch this. Just like self-adoration taken to the extreme 
leads you to a low self-esteem, self-hatred to the extreme takes you somewhere also. It takes you to the place where it shows itself up in things like being a perfectionist. It shows up in things where you're the kind of person where everything has to be just so. You may think that that's noble. You may think that that is, you know, a good quality to have. But really what it's saying is that you are actually so deep in self-hatred that you have to now change your environment in order to be able to think, in order, thinking that it'll make you like yourself even more. You see the, the reverse psychology? It is deep. Finally, there is self-denial. This is the healthy kind of self-love. It is a recognition that you place such a high value on others, that you're willing to give of yourself for their benefit. It is a unique sense that it allows you to be fully you because you're not concerned with looking good, having good, or doing good. Self-denial says that I value this person to the point where I am able or willing to do whatever I can for their benefit because you recognize that there is an inherent value in them that is tied to you through the relationship. So when you love others more than you're able to love yourself, you're actually willing to deny yourself for their benefit. You cannot love somebody without giving a part of yourself to them. Anyone here ever had their heart broken? <laughs> Growing up in relationships, had your heart broken? What do you think happened? Right after your heart is broken, you go home, you cry, you hurt, you don't want to talk to anybody ever, right? Your level of laughter is your level of guilt. You want to have nothing to do with anybody because your heart is so broken. What's the first thing that people who have suffered a broken heart do? They go into isolation. Isolation. You quickly remove yourself from the community, even in the church. If the church made you mad, you don't come. You pull yourselves into isolation. But now when you find somebody that you're a little bit interested in, what do you do? You take a longer time before giving them too much of yourself. Why? Because you are afraid that they may break your heart again. So you're, you, you tread cautiously. You do that because you cannot be in a real relationship, a real love relationship with someone without giving of yourself to them. It requires you to say, here is my heart. Do whatever you want with it. Here you go. And you become so vulnerable that if the person really, really wants, they can hurt you in a way that nobody else can. Self-denial is the ultimate giving away of yourself to someone else, hoping that when they get it, they appreciate you enough to treasure it. So here's what we know. Our cells are rooted in sin, not love. Selfishness and conceit are natural because of the fall. God has a standard and only self-denial is the healthy kind of self-love. So when we put it all together, here's what my point is. It is impossible for you to be selfless because no matter how much you love the person you're with, 
you're still always just holding on to just a little teeny, teeny bit, just in case they drop your heart. You and I cannot take ourselves out of sin and root it in love. You cannot do that. You are naturally selfish and you cannot meet God's standard. Are you understanding what I'm saying? What I'm telling you is that you cannot do this. Either you love yourself too much or you don't love yourself enough. But either way, you and I, we're just in bad shape. You can't help but think of yourself. Wow, pastor, I don't know, man. This, this is just a really bad sermon. <laughs> How can I love myself and at the same time deny myself? And why is God even asking me to do something like this? What is the benefit of denying myself, my own wants, and my needs for the benefit of someone else? What's in it for me? Even that question is selfish. <laughs> even that question is selfish. But the text helps us. The Apostle Paul says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. This is what Paul says. But look carefully at verse 3 again. It says what? But with humility. Don't miss that. It says, with humility. In other words, selfishness is not something that you can do. It is actually a state of mind. It, it requires humility. You cannot choose to be humble. You have to actively humble yourself. Listen, <laughs> nowhere in scripture are we told to be humble. Nowhere in scripture, be humble. The instruction is always to what? Humble yourself. There is a big difference. Look at these verses. In Matthew 23 and 12, it says, Whosoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whosoever humbles himself will be exalted. In Luke 18, 14, Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. James, the fourth chapter and the tenth verse. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Finally, 1 Peter 5 and 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. You see, humility is an action, not a style. The goal is not to be labeled, oh, he's a humble person. The goal is to act humbly, and that responsibility is ours. Nowhere in scripture does it say to be humble. It says that you must humble yourself. I don't know if you see the difference. Being humble means, I, to be humble means, I want you to see just how humble I am. But actively humbling yourself means that this person needs something and I'm going to give of myself for their benefit. There is a difference. One says, I need you to see me because I'm humble. The other says, whether you see me as humble or not is not important. What you need is more important than what I need. So therefore, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to purposely deny myself. I'm going to make a, 
a decision to not get what I want so you can get what you need. Look at the difference. I'm going to make sure that I don't get what I want, but that you get what you need. Humble yourself. Humility is a character that will enable us to be as selfless as possible. We cannot come to God without humility. If you think you can come to God with all your fancy stuff, make no mistake, he will resist the proud every single time. If you want something from God, you better come to God on your knees, recognizing that he will exalt the humble. We cannot love God without it. We cannot be effective witnesses for Christ without it. We cannot love and serve other people without it. We cannot lead in a godly way, even in this church, without a sense of humility. We cannot communicate properly without humility. We cannot resolve conflicts between people without humility. We cannot deal with the sin of others rightly without humility. And we especially cannot resist sin without humility. So if God wants us to be selfless, Here's where the rubber meets the road. He's going to have to do it. Because you can't do it rooted in sin. Are you with me? So all the good you think you can, thinking that, you know, I come to church regularly and I tithe regularly, God must be pleased. <laughs> really? Really? You think God wants your stuff? God wants your heart. And if you recognize how God has brought you from a mighty long way, that you can't help but to humble yourself before God, then God will see the humility that you bring and go, this one I will now exalt. So if God wants us to be selfless, he is going to have to do it. And this is where we get good news. Despite the fact that we are so deeply rooted in the muck and the mire of sin, God did not leave us there. In Philippians, the first chapter, the sixth verse, he says, He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Well, the day of Christ Jesus was the day he paid for your sins when he defeated it on the cross once and for all. Hear what it says in the book of Colossians. While you were yet dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you and me alive in Christ. He forgave all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us to condemn us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed all the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. In other words, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for you and for me. And because we were all born in sin and shaped in iniquity, watch this, you have now become rooted in him. 
I think you missed that. I told you. We are rooted in sin. There is nothing good about us. Even when we want to do good things, we're doing it because we want to be noticed. We are rooted deep in sin. Nothing good can come from us. So when Jesus went on the cross, he paid for the sin. He became sin. And when he became sin, you are now rooted in him. And because you're rooted in him, he now makes it possible for you to be selfless. So whenever you're ready to do something good, the Holy Spirit comes along and says, do this. And when you do it, God blesses it. Because you can't do it by yourself. That's why we need the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus Christ died and rose again from the grave, the Bible tells us he sits at the right hand of God the Father and he looks around and he finds a few good people that he says, listen, if you only believe, I will give you my spirit. And when I give you my spirit, I've given you authority over things seen and things unseen. So whenever you speak in my name, you will have whatever you say. Because you're not only rooted in sin, you're rooted in me. And the Bible tells us that we have been made the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. Do you understand what I'm telling you? We are fallen. We are broken. But God did not leave us there. He says, I will become what you need me to be. Therefore, you don't have to plead yourself. Just plead me. And whatever you ask in my name, you will have it. Do you believe? Jesus suffered. Jesus suffered just for you. Jesus bled just for you. He was bruised just for you. He was scourged just for you. He was marred just for you. Jesus did it just for you. And he did it just for me. It was the ultimate act of selflessness. And because he did this for you, you now have the capacity to do it for others. Selfishness comes pretty natural to most of us. But let me encourage you today. You don't know how good God has made you. When you agreed to let Jesus Christ into your heart for yourself, when you made that decision, you did it recognizing just how bad you are. You did it recognizing that there was nothing good about you. But God made a way that you can now turn around and say, Lord, I am available to you because there's nothing else that I can do. 
And he did it just for you. And he did it just for me. The day is going to come when God is going to ask every single one of us, what did you do with my son? You're going to stand before God's judgment throne. And he's going to ask the question, what did you do with my son? And you're going to say, some people are going to say anyway, Lord, we healed in your name. Lord, we fed the hungry in your name. Lord, we did all these wonderful things. We built a big church in your name. Lord, wow, what more do you want? We did all of this in your name. And at that moment, you will hear the most tragic thing that anyone will ever hear at the end of their lives. Get away from me, for I never knew you. I said to you before, if you heard me clearly in the sermon, that you cannot, you cannot be in love with a person and not give something of yourself to them. You have to give something of yourself to them. And Jesus is so in love with you and I that not only did he give something of himself to us, he gave all of himself to us when he died on the cross and suffered for things he did not do. So if he gave you all of him, all he's asking for from you is just your heart.